You are listening to the Wisdom of Wealth podcast. My name is Ryan Haley. And my name is Kyle Kempers. Whether you're at the top of your game or you're just getting started, we are here to add as much value as we possibly can to your financial education. If you want to find out more, head on over to wisdomofwealth.co. Hey guys, welcome to the Wisdom of Wealth podcast. This is Ryan Haley. I'm Kyle Kempers. We are excited that you have joined us today. We are going to talk about something today that I had never heard about until just a couple years ago, which blew my mind. And it's actually a huge part of what we both do now. But um, this is something that goes by a lot of names. And one of them is trademarked, so we have to be very specific in the language that we use. But it is something known by either the infinite banking concept, IBC, which is a trademark term by Nelson Nash, and refers very specifically to uh, a certain way of doing things. But then there's also, you know, privatized banking, bank on yourself, life insurance, retirement plan, LERP. There's a million names for it. But it's this wild strategy that uses, wait for it, permanent life insurance. Doesn't that sound sexy, Kyle? Sounds amazing. I've <laughs> always I've always wanted permanent life insurance. So when you say that, I just tell me more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, life insurance, please go on. Continue. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry, where's the the door? I mean, <laughs> yeah. more? The, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, especially for younger people, it's just like, wait, what? Uh, life insurance? What is this about, right? Now, obviously, there is a place for life insurance in the traditional sense that most people know of, and, and that's a valuable thing. Um, but how would this relate to kind of stuff we talk about, which is some sophisticating financial planning and investing, you know, uh, practices, strategies, asset classes. Um, it was, it was just such a bizarre thing. And Kyle, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts you want to just preface your, you know, how you got into this or what your original, you know, reaction to it was. I, I learned about this about seven years ago. I think I didn't understand what insurance was. I, what I knew was probably what most people know, that term is cheaper than permanent life insurance, and I didn't know why until more recently, only a couple of years ago, when I started actually getting into trying to understand this concept, did I understand that term is set for a, a specific term, which is 10, 15, 20, 35 years, whatever it is. And that term is designed in such a way by the insurance carrier, they're going to do their homework and best case scenario, most likely you will live past that term. And so you really have peace of mind insurance on your life. It's death insurance uh, for a lack of prettier terms <laughs> for you. And if you die within that term, it's, it's probably going to be an accident. It's an unforeseen issue because they're not going to give that term to you if they think that you're going to die. And or they're going to have to charge you a heck of a lot more for it, right? Right. It, it, hence, permanent insurance. Right. Because 99%, I believe, in some companies, others, it's like 98. And it kind of fluctuates per company. Percent of the term policies they put in place don't actually pay out, which blows my mind. I'm like, holy smokes. So, like, the majority of people that own term will never use it. Well, which is kind of like, it's a double-edged sword, right? Insurance is one of, like, pure downside insurance is one of the only products that I know of where you hope you don't get what you pay for. Because right. unless it's permanent, because that right. means by definition, something bad thing. happened. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's appropriate for people who are, you know, just looking for, hey, you know, I'm maybe I'm 
I'm 25, 30 years old. I'm just starting a family. Uh, we've got a lot of debt, not as much income. We haven't hit our major wealth producing years yet. I want to make sure that if I get hit by, you know, a truck today that my family's, you know, cared for and I don't leave them saddled with a bunch of debt and no income. Right. So there's, there's a time and a place for term. Um, and it makes sense. Right. But it's not something that you would s- probably ever think about, you know, putting a significant portion of your, you know, liquidity or net worth into, right? You're definitely not leveraging it as a financial strategy. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. So then uh, conversely to the term, you have permanent insurance, which permanent insurance is set up in such a way that it pays out 100% of the time as long as premiums are being paid. Hence the expense and why it's so much more expensive because permanent insurance has to be designed in such a way that it is able to be paid out at the end of your life cycle. And so you're owning life insurance that you fully intend to use, whether you die now or you die at the very end of your life. So I think everybody's going to die at the very end of their life. Let's, let's hope they do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's hope they do. That's that's so dark. (laughs) Can you imagine? Someone's just like 172, just like I did never die. I died a hundred years ago. I don't know what your problem is. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, I think it's important because I, one, understanding the difference between these two helps you understand why permanent insurance has the different, what what would you call that? It has the different attributes to it that it does. Right. And so there's these different things that are built into whole life insurance or permanent insurance for uh, lack of better terms. And those are living benefits. So there's living benefit portions of whole life insurance and of IULs and other forms of permanent, which is basically the same chassis with a different name. Right. So I guess the one thing that it made sense to me in the way that you just explained that was like term is cheap because statistically it's very unlikely the insurance company is going to pay out, you know, more than a very small minority of those cases. Right. So therefore they can charge a lot cheaper rates, whereas permanent insurance, the premiums are so much more because there's a 100% chance that everybody is going to die, right? And so they have to know, they have to be 100% planning financially that we're going to pay out a full death benefit for every single one of these policies, right? And so that makes more sense. And there's some, you know, uh, up until uh, knowing about, you know, this privatized banking concept and all the different names it goes by, like I understood that for like some people, extremely high net worth, um, maybe in business arrangements, something like that, that permanent insurance could make sense. But for the most part, you know, it was like, you know, it was like basically like a lot of, uh, I won't name them specifically, but some famous uh, radio talk show financial personalities talk about like, you know, buy term and invest the difference, right? Why would I spend that much money on pure just, you know, downside death benefit protection when I could get you know, for a, the part the part of my life that I'm probably the most concerned about, I can pay a fraction of that, and then I can invest the difference into something else, right? Now, of course, that assumes you're getting a higher rate of return. I talk to anybody who's been in the stock market this year, how that's worked <laughs> out for them. But, right. you know, we'll get to that later. But, you know, that's kind of the thing where um, it didn't make sense. But then, a couple of years ago, found... Uh, I had heard like vaguely of this concept and the funny thing is I actually ended up using it without even really knowing what it was um, to fund a real estate investment property. But the cash value, the, the premium you're paying into these permanent life insurance policies, the reason that the insurance company n- will be able to pay that death benefit out is because they take those higher premiums that you're paying in and they invest them 
at a certain rate of return, you know, based it's very safe, conservative bonds. They're not, you know, getting crazy high returns, but they're getting consistent safe returns over a long period of time, right? And that long-term compounding is significant. And so that money that you're paying in, you know, is there's cost of insurance, there's policy expenses, but the most of it eventually is going to be going to what is called cash value. And that is the part that grows as the insurance company invests it. It will grow over time to equal that death benefit, right? And so uh, there's different ways you can structure it. Um, but there is actual cash in there, which term does not have. There's no cash value. With a permanent insurance policy, cash value gradually accrues over time. And you can actually use that throughout your life. So that was a huge deal. I was like, wait a minute. So you can actually like borrow money from your insurance policy or withdraw it and use it for anything you want to? Like what? Totally mind-blowing. It's it's hitting me right now as you're talking about this, just how alien this entire concept sounds and how out of nowhere right. it comes from when you when you first hear about it. But this living benefit portion, this cash value, it, it doesn't really exist at the beginning of the policy because like you just said, it's, it's accruing and it's compounding with the intention of equaling this death benefit at the time of payout, which mm-hmm. currently the scale is 121, I believe. Yeah. At, so at age 121, the death benefit you purchase should have accrued the cash value needed to match the death benefit. So a death benefit of 1.5 million on my life in place today mm-hmm. doesn't have that much cash value. But as I get closer to 121, the cash value should grow to equal that at right. that age. Exactly. So we, we may have heard about the ability to get access to cash value in later years in a whole life insurance policy, depending on it, the salesman that tried to pitch life insurance to you. Right. But this strategy takes a completely different approach. And it is how do we put funds into this cash value sooner than later? Can we actually allocate funds going into our policy to the cash value portion early on because the beauty of this cash value and how it works is that it is basically set up like a a line of equity that you can borrow against so i may have just taken three or too many steps too too far down the road but yeah so i mean that that basically is it is that you're the ca- the money you're paying in um will eventually grow to equal that death benefit, which is why, you know, now obviously the insurance companies are, in some cases, you may pay for one of these policies and say you pay, you know, $15,000 a premium for a $1.5 million death benefit or whatever the numbers are. You know, it, some people are going to die that very first year and the insurance company is going to be out a lot of money, right? Because they received twenty or 15000 and they have to pay out $1.5 But they know that, you know, they run all these statistics and what are called actuarial studies, and they know that on average, if you get enough people, use the law of large numbers, they'll know that they can um, assume reasonably that most of these people will live long enough that that money that they were able to pay over time was enough to grow at a conservative projection for that rate of return to equal that death benefit. And then, you know, uh, sometimes it'll it'll be more. Uh, there, you know, some years that they'll uh, they'll do better than they expect, and some years they'll do worse. But over the long term you know, it evens out. And so, I mean, why are we even talking about this right now? Right. So like, that would be the question I'd be asking if I'm hearing all this, like, okay, you're explaining the details of insurance. Uh, Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe never knew that, but what, why do I care about this? Right. So the, (laughs) I guess what would be your answer to that question, Kyle? If there are people saying, okay, so what? 
the so the so what question it, well f- the first thing that comes to mind is if you understand real estate at all and you understand how a HELOC works where you access equity that's in your home that you don't already have access and out through the form of a loan so you're not leveraged against your home entirely so if your home is worth seven hundred thousand you only owe three hundred thousand on the loan there's four hundred thousand dollars worth of of value sitting in that property and there's ways for you to get loans against portions of that four hundred thousand that's sitting in Absolutely. The HELOC is a great example. And let's just make it super simple for everybody. Let's just assume, you know, just for the hypothetical example, let's assume that you were able to buy a house all cash, right? Now, most people can't do that, right? Or they wouldn't want to. But just to make it really simple without a first and a second position loan, and it gets a little bit more murky, like let's just assume you bought a home outright, $500,000 home, right? You got a, you got an inheritance from your grandpa's permanent life insurance policy because he listened to this podcast and he knew that that was going to be important, okay? <laughs> and this is you in 2070-something. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. So no, you're, you're a young 22-year-old 20, today getting this awesome bet death benefit payout because your grandpa thought ahead and left you a legacy and a benefit, right? That's a whole other thing we'll talk about later. But um, so anyways, you, whatever it is. You have a $500,000 home. Right, so you pay 500000 cash for this home. Okay. So now you can live in that home. You can rent it out. That's really cool. But what's also cool, like you just talked about, is that without selling the home, you can still retain ownership of it, get all those benefits, right? Whether it's you living in it, renting it out for cash flow, getting tax benefits, all these things. Without selling it, you can still access money from it by collateralizing a loan or a line of credit against that asset, right? At a certain loan to value ratio. So if you have a $500,000 home, and uh, the bank will let you take out, let's say, 80% loan to value um, and 80% of 500000 would be 400000 So you could get a $400,000 home equity line of credit or HELOC that is very flexible, very different in many ways than a traditional fully amortized mortgage, right? Where you pay interest only, it's revolving, so you can borrow from it, then you can pay it back, then it's still available to you. Whereas with the regular mortgage, once you pay it off, it's gone. You don't get access to that money anymore. So that's a really, we're setting, we're queuing this thing up for anybody. Yep. If you guys are, are just stick with us, we're getting there. We're getting there. But is this, so that was a great example that you used. And I, it's important to hit the why. Why would you want to do this? Because you now have access to $400,000 that you can move around and do what you want with while you continue to own this asset. That you, you last part it. is the critical thing, right? right. So that, that was going to be my next question. Well, Kyle, why would I, why would I pay interest to borrow my own money, right? Like if I, if I own this thing, I paid 500000 cash for it, and if I could sell it for that same amount, like let's just assume it's like the next day and it's exactly, you know, a very unlikely scenario, but just for the sake of simplicity, I could just sell the home for 500000 if, if I wanted that money, and then I don't have to pay any interest on it. Why shouldn't I do that? Because you would miss out on the earned equity on that asset if it continues to grow, which it should. And you will miss out on the added benefits of owning the house, which you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. which is that payment on a house payment. If you own it outright, you're not making a house payment. Or you could be renting that home. And so if you're renting that house out, let's just say you're renting it for a mortgage and it's going for, or the rent is going for uh, $2,000 a month. So now you have $2,000 a month in cash flow that's coming through your passive asset and it's sitting there as a house. And then while you borrowed against it, you're now using the money in another place. And so your money's in two places at once. Uh, okay. So I think the light's coming on. You just said something that really, because the next question is, well, if I wanted another asset, why don't I just sell this one and buy another one? But you just you just brought up a key point there, 
Now I can have my money in two places or more at the same time. Right. And the beauty of finding ways to get your money in two places or more at the same time is getting ahead of the system that we all find ourselves in. When someone says, I want to get financially free and I want to find a way to get out of debt and get into wealth and building wealth that's generational for generations to come, or I just want to live comfortably, the first thing that comes to mind for me is you have to start learning and understanding and finding ways to apply your money in multiple different scenarios at the same time. Right. Put that dollar to work in multiple places. And, um, and that is, that is possible to do with a variety of asset classes, right? We just talked about the example of real estate, you know, collateralizing a loan against the equity of your home that's in a HELOC, or you could do a home equity loan. Um, we, you can do it with, you know, stocks and securities, even cryptocurrency. I wouldn't recommend it cause it's super volatile, you know, but uh, you get a margin call. That's a, you know, that's a dangerous thing. Um, but, uh, there, there's just, people. yeah, you can, bu- yeah. well, so it's retaining ownership of that asset that is ideally giving you a positive cash flow at the same time that it's appreciating in value, hopefully also giving you tax efficiencies along the way and, or some, you know, uh, intrinsic value, like in the case of a home, well, you can actually sleep there, right? Cause I'm going to have to pay rent to live somewhere. So, you know, however you want to slice it, you're getting multiple benefits from something while still being able to extract liquidity or cash from it. And then you can do it again and do it again and again and again. And each one of these things, you know, uh, this money uh, grows, uh, you know, it meets it meets a lover and has children. And then those children have children and those children's <laughs> children have children that have children. You know, that's the miracle of compound interest over a long the period of time. Of <laughs> it really, it is the circle of life and the miracle of compound interest. So the eighth wonder of the world. It really is. So you're, you're listening to this and you're like, I see where you're going with this. You're going to tell me that I can own insurance and I can also borrow against the ownership of insurance to go get something else. And so my money is owning insurance for me and I'm also able to use it somewhere else. And yes, that's exactly where we are going with this. Uh, but it's more than that. It's more than just owning a death benefit and then borrowing the money to go make an investment. It's actually important to understand that as we overfund this cash flow portion of the policy, that it is accruing interest. And we can get into those numbers later and get into the details on why it accrues interest. But for now, understand that if you have $10,000 in this cash value account and it's accruing interest for you annually and you're able to access that same 10,000 to go make another investment, you have just created a passive asset that is earning a 5% or whatever the interest is at the given year that you're listening to this, whether it's above that or below that, it's earning interest for you in this account and you can access that interest through the form of loans so you never interrupt the compounding interest. Just like in a home that accrues and uh, gains equity value as it goes up from 500 to 700K, you now own $200,000 more of, of asset class and that is the same thing that happens with your cash value. And so it's important to understand that we're, we're trying to do two things at the same time, but what we are adding to your portfolio should be looked at as kind of a complicated savings account or an investment, an, right. a, an account that you're going to use to fund, opportunity fund, or however right. you want to put it. Yeah, and, and it's really, really important to stress uh, how critical it is that these policies are designed very specifically uh with people who know what they're doing and um, are also not looking to, you know, they're more interested in your benefit as the policyholder than their benefit as the agent getting a commission from this because it, the, your, your daddy's whole life insurance policy that everybody's familiar with, you know, 
Um, yes, it will accrue cash value, and eventually that will, you know, be a very, you know, large amount at some point. But it does so very slowly over time if you're not designing it in a very specific way. And we're not going to get into all the nuances of that. But if you want to, ha I mean, it could take like, say, you you put in a hundred thousand dollars in your first year, thinking I'm gonna jumpstart this thing. And then you check your account because you haven't done your homework and you realize, what, I have no cash value. I just spent $100,000, I have zero right. cash value. And if you look at the illustration, you'll see that if you just do the standard, uh, you know, regular quote unquote whole life that people are familiar with, you won't have any cash value for probably at least two years. And then it's gonna take like over a decade, maybe two until it even equals what you initially put in. So it, it happens, but it does so very slowly over time. And so if you're looking to do this very specifically to borrow against it and you want maximum early access to as much cash value as possible, there, it just be under, be aware and um, and do some research and we'll get more in-depth stuff on this later and we can go through a Zoom video and break down the numbers. But it's very, very important that these things are structured in a very specific way, which, by the way, drastically reduces the commission for the insurance agent. So you really need to make sure that this insurance agent um, is looking out for your best interests not just trying to sell you something under the guise of, you know, oh, yeah, this is great. And then they, you know, it's an IBC policy, right? This is a, a and it's like you look at some of these things it. and yeah, maybe they're maybe they're better than nothing. But it's like, wow, I, I would have designed that a lot differently. And, you know, now that I know about all this stuff and um, so all that to say, if you don't get a, a well-designed policy and more importantly, even I would say that policy is then integrated into a bigger picture financial plan because the policy is not the end all be all. It's just Correct. one of many assets where it's the power of compounding uninterrupted with many asset classes all at the same time. That's where, you know, the magic happens. You get the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and they all feed each other. Right. So, um, it's very important to have someone who specializes in this, who knows what you're doing and can put it together in a larger picture plan. So if that's not done, then Dave, well, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but uh, <laughs> somebody is absolutely right that you should only invest in term and, you know, or in, buy term and invest the difference. But if it's done well, which is a big caveat mm -hmm. and well integrated with a long term plan, it can be truly life changing. It's something important that you, you glossed over as you were saying this is you just don't want to be left cash poor. You don't want to own this right. gigantic asset and not have access to right. the cash inside of it. Right. And and that's been, so I've run into this, uh, being someone who's a practitioner doing the IBC stuff and helping people get set up and, and build their own policies and, and put them into place. I've 110% run into quite a few people now who have been told that this is what they were getting into, but not having the structure on the back end. And it's like you said, I, I mean, I don't even think that that agent was ill-willed. I think he just probably didn't understand what he right. was building. You know, I, I never knew. It takes a pretty good degree was, of sophistication to really do it right. It does. It does. And I, I have heard, um, I, I talked to an insurance agent once and he just said, oh, I love IBC. That's a great sales strategy. And I was like, great. How much do you put to PUAs? which is the technical term for the, the cash value up front. And right. he was like, what's a PUA? And I'm like, great, <laughs> you're screwing people over. <laughs> oh, man, I have, I have seen some awful. of the worst <laughs> abuses, man. I, my first client I ever worked with. So just you know, full disclosure, because Kyle and I found out about this and started using it in our own investments, you know, real estate and other things that we had done personally, we were, our mind was so blown by this as we took the time and effort to really analyze and ask those questions that unfortunately a lot of people don't. Once we understood it and stress tested it and scrutinized it under a microscope for months on end, 
we realized how powerful this was if it was done correctly. And so full disclosure, we are licensed life insurance agents. I know a lot of people try to like hide from you that that's what they do and they dress it up with all this language. Um, so we are licensed life insurance agents, but only because we saw the incredible power of this as clients and policyholders first, as investors, as people who are growing our wealth. And we felt like we got it. I can't believe I'd never heard of this. And I had a pretty good financial background to start with. And, uh, you know, for many years, and I couldn't believe I hadn't heard of it. And then I started realizing it's niche, but more people are learning about it. And even more so the people who have heard about it, it was like, I saw these abuses, like you talked about Kyle, like the first client that I dealt with. And I was just like, so enraged because they were so incompetent and, you know, just dishonest, not acting in a fiduciary capacity. It was horrible. And I was like, you know, uh, we gotta, we gotta change the landscape of this right. is this, you know, we have to get you out of this quick. Yeah. And, and luckily that, that, uh, other agent was so terrible. He actually closed the sale for me. No problem because it was just no, com- it was black and white, you know, it was like black you know, night yep. and day. So all that to say, there's a lot of nuances to this. We're not going to have time to go into it at this right. point in time. But the idea is you want to structure the policy in accordance with your goals and your uh, financial objectives on a bigger picture, right? So if you need maximum early access to cash value, that's going to be a certain design. If you're not so worried, like, hey, I probably don't really need to tap into this for like, you know, five or 10 years, then we might design it slightly differently if the death benefit is uh, of equal or greater importance to you. So again, it's the it's the policy design, but the policy design specifically in relation to your personal, you know, uh, custom financial goals and objectives and risk tolerance and all these other things, right? So um, it, there's a lot that goes into this, but when you start to understand that you can put your money to work in multiple places at the same time and that you can accomplish multiple goals, like you talked about some people, oh, I, I need to pay off debt, then I can start investing. It's like, what if you could do both at the same time? You don't have to choose one or the other. And I think that's the key to financial freedom and building wealth, managing it, understanding strategies, going the next extra mile, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Right. little plug there. Right. Love you, dude. Thank you for writing that book. <laughs> yeah. um, we talked about that in the last episode. If you haven't heard it, check it <laughs> out. Did. Um, and one of the first people I told about this strategy was my dad. A few years after I learned about it and was feeling pretty confident that this was a good strategy and I pointed my dad to the company that we now work for and he he's been doing it now for five years and uh, once I got licensed and joined the team as an agent I got to take over his policy and I'm looking through it going oh my gosh this is such a beautiful thing yeah and it's incredible because the the way these numbers play out once you get past those those first three four five years I mean these these things really grow and they afford you a lot of advantages as far as that passive cash flow with that compounding interest. And he's never interrupting it because he's barring against it. And, right. and I get to be in the passenger seat for his policy now looking at it and seeing the legacy gets he gets to leave. And yeah. he gets to be more aggressive with some of his investments and his strategies because of the death benefit that he owns. Right. And uh, it, it's a beautiful, I think this is a really beautiful thing when done well. Yeah. And I think it's a very uh, terrible, horrifying thing <laughs> when done done incorrectly. Yeah. So we absolutely could not agree with you more there. So just to kind of wrap up the basic idea of this. And by the way, you know, it took months and months for any of us to understand this truly at the level we need to. So you'll probably have to re-listen this over and over. We'll have mo- other episodes. We'll interview people and kind of p- hopefully put some flesh on the bones with some personal examples, testimonies, use cases with other types of um, strategies and asset classes. But the basic idea 
is that you have a permanent life insurance policy that has cash value. You structure it in a way that maximizes the access to that cash value early on and the growth of it over time. Then you borrow against it as opposed to withdrawing it. You could withdraw, but it wouldn't be as beneficial. And therefore, you get your money working for you in multiple places at the same time. You get a very safe, uninterrupted compounding over decades. You get the death benefit. You get all these other things. And you're able to start accelerating your wealth building process. And that is, Mm -hmm. again, it's not the policy itself. It's the way that it accomplishes a bigger picture strategy and goal. Because as we mentioned before, the end of the day, what we're trying to help people with that was so life-changing for us was understanding how when you start to really understand and have insight to financial strategies and how to just reroute your cash flow, basic things, um, it really can change your life. You know, at the end of the day, the money isn't the important thing. It's the freedom, it's the choices, the flexibility, the ability to be generous, all these things that's really ultimately the bottom line. And this is just one of many tools to help accomplish that. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. We, as always, want to continue this conversation with you. So feel free to reach out to us us with questions that you may have. You can find our emails on our website, wisdomofwealth.co. And we'd love to hear from you to continue this conversation, answer your questions. Also, keep an eye out for those podcasts that Ryan mentioned, where we go a little bit deeper, do some case studies, and help you understand this more as we continue together. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to it. We have a lot of other things to cover, but like Kyle said, uh, you can actually book an appointment if you want to, if you want to, there's no charge. We are just passionate about sharing this. So we, we talk about it in the show notes and in the, uh, you know, the bumpers and everything, but if you want to, and you want to just learn more about this, you can schedule an appointment, you know, through Calendly, um, and you can look at the website for more information. So do not hesitate to reach out. We love explaining this. We're huge financial nerds, so it doesn't bother us. Uh, and we want to just share this with as many people. So we, uh, we hope this was helpful for you guys. We'll have many more to come, but uh, we will look forward to sharing some more things on the next episode. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Hopefully what we shared was valuable, whether it encouraged you or challenged you. Our goal is to equip you to make better financial decisions. So engage with us at wisdomofwealth.co. We want to connect with you and continue the conversation. Make an appointment today. Ryan, myself, or anyone else from the Wisdom of Wealth team would love to meet with you. We look forward to talking more. And again, that's wisdomofwealth.co. See you on the next episode.